The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. On the evening of April 10th, 2022, Elder Mike Ivey, pastor of Unity Primitive Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi, preached one of the greatest messages I've ever heard. We are posting this message today in its entirety, so it's a little bit longer than we've been used to on our daily podcast lately. But unless you listen to it all the way through, you won't get the full impact of what he's saying. His topic was the mystery of godliness. And in this message, Brother Mike gives us some glorious truths about how secure we have always been in Christ, even from before the foundation of the world. I hope you enjoy this message like I did. I wish you could have been there that night and felt the Spirit moving among us as it did. Many of us wept. Many of us wanted to shout with joy for the great truths of grace that Brother Mike brought to us that night. So even though this message is a little bit longer, I hope you enjoy this sermon on the mystery of godliness by Elder Mike Ivey. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. I truly need uh, your prayers this evening. Um, uh, I'm, I have a subject on my mind that I've never preached on before, um, so I need your prayers for that. And I also have a subject on my mind that when I get through, um, we're still not gonna understand it. 
and that's scary. Um, in the book of Timothy, the Apostle Paul uh, makes a statement to us in 1 Timothy 3 and 16, and he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, I want to tell you right off, uh, that's not my text. <clears throat> but what I want from that text um, is um, the presumption that Paul uh, provides us as he um, then explains uh, what he means by the mystery of godliness. And the presumption is that um, God is mysterious, um, that he is uh, past our finding out. <clears throat> and I believe that that's going to be the case even when we get to heaven, um, that um, God is going to be so different from us. We're, we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> but um, the essential being of God is going to be so far above us that in our own experience with one another and even based on observation of him, um, we're not going to be able to comprehend um, the scope of godliness, what it is to be God. That doesn't mean that we won't appreciate it. It doesn't mean that we won't adore it, adore him. It doesn't mean that we won't um, be um, drawn to every word that he utters and to um, every thought that he shares with us, um, that all of our devotion and attention um, will focus on him. Amen. But we're still not going to understand how he really is. Now, that's an even greater problem for us today. Amen. And that's what I want to talk about, um, is the mystery of God and how um, by his power and based on his grace and his great compassion toward us, um, he has penetrated the veil um, of, uh, of our carnality um, to give us insights to him that are sort of like the, um, the phrase in the song Blessed Assurance written by uh, Fanny Crosby, who was a, uh, a blind person. And in the second verse, she says, perfect submission perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. And of course, <clears throat> we can't begin to understand um, what um, those visions were. They were rapturous vis visions. You know, rapture is one of those words like stupendous um, or tremendous. Um, you know, there, you, you start with the um, exceptional quality and then you just expand from there, and there's no end to the expanding. And so, from God's standpoint, that's how God is. But there were some things that he revealed about himself to us that um, when we contemplate those things, and when we 
um, seek audience with him by virtue of him breaking the mystery of the veil of our carnality um, so and so to condescend not only for Christ to come and die for us on the cross but um, to dwell in us and in consequence of him dwelling in us um, we catch glimpses of the mystery of godliness if you would turn with me for just a moment and let's begin by, let's begin in the fifth chapter of the Roman letter. And in the Roman letter, the Apostle Paul, um, in this portion of the Roman letter, he's talking about um, justification. And he's providing us ways to think about um, how justification works and why there was a need for we to be justified. He says, um, in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, for until the law, um, until the law sin was in the world, but it was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come but not as the offense so also is the free gift now there's a convoluted statement but not as the offense so also is the free gift and then he's going to explain that to us so here is a here is a mysterious statement and he's going and what he's saying is but not as the offense in other words dissimilar to adam's transgression not not the way Adam's transgression worked, but in a different way that is, um, in one sense, similar, um, the free gift came. You see, Adam committed one sin, and that one sin um, had an impact um, that we're still struggling with in the world today, and we will continue to struggle until um, the Savior comes again. Because death... Um, passed upon all men, sin entered in, and by sin, death passed upon all of us. And he says that representation principle applies where justification is concerned, but not in the same way. And the way that it applied with Adam is there was one sin um, which led to the fallen nature of all of humanity. And here he says the similarity is that by one sacrifice, that by one sacrifice, he tells us, if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God um, and the gift by grace, which is one man, even Christ, hath abounded unto many. Notice he didn't say all. He said unto many. Now, what I want to get from this, and this is part of the mystery of godliness. This is the aspect of it that I want. All I'm going to be able to do is to establish a principle so that you'll have questions. And hopefully you will chew on those questions uh, at least for the next few days. And, and if you're like me, you'll probably chew on them until um, you take your last breath. But I want you to notice... He says, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more, the, uh, much more the grace of God and by the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. 
And from that, we understand, and this is, this is the distinction that uh, we're going to look at. We talk about um, Christ being our representative, okay? And, and certainly, um, he paid for our sins. But if the Lord would bless us this evening, what I want to show you is that our position and relationship with Christ is much more intimate than he simply being our representative, that we are in Christ and that he is in us. And that's where this example that Paul is using for justification. You see, here's how the offense worked. God told Adam that he could eat of all the trees of the garden, um, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we know what had him, happened, that um, that. Um, Eve was tempted and succumbed to temptation, and then Adam, who was there with her, watching her and listening to the conversation that was going on between she and Satan and not intervening on Eve's behalf, there's Adam's culpability, <clears throat> that um, Adam also ate of the fruit, and he died. That transgression affected a fundamental change, a profound change, um, in Adam's humanity. When the Lord made man, he said, let us make man in our own image. And that's what he did. <clears throat> he made man in his own image. Now, we can speculate about, you know, whether um, uh, God is a biped, um, but in fact, we know that God um, is a spirit. And so when we're speaking about being in made in, in his um, image, we're talking about the spirit of his image. <clears throat> and so far as the spirit of his image is concerned, um, God made us like him. One of the ways that he made us like him um, was he gave us volition. The fact that he told Adam, you can um, eat of any of the trees except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil implies a choice, that Adam was free to eat of that or not eat of that based on his own volition. Another way that Adam was made like God is in the creation, it was possible for man to understand the moral quality and experience the moral quality of goodness in the absence of any participation or personal knowledge of evil. <clears throat> that, in fact, when God gave him that law in the garden, it was not to set up Adam for failure. <clears throat> Rather, God's purpose in giving that law to Adam in the garden um, was to establish a way uh, where Adam could understand that he was experiencing goodness um, despite having no personal knowledge of the effects of evil. <clears throat> so that as long as he obeyed, <clears throat> Adam received the blessings of obedience and also um, could understand in his own way of thinking um, that he was being good, that he was being good because he was obeying the Lord. Now when Adam transgressed, boy, this is a heavy topic for a Sunday evening. When Adam transgressed, two things happened to him. One is that he became different 
from how God made him. The other is he was diminished from what God made when he made man. He became different inasmuch as he added a quality um, to his being that was not present when God created him, and that quality is the quality of evil. And so he added that to himself. Do you see that? Now, the other thing that happened um, is that he became less than what God created because God created Adam good, and he lost goodness by transgressing God's law there in the garden. So, so from the standpoint of man being in the image of God, he still had volition, but so far as a moral quality of righteousness, that was gone. That was gone. And it was a profound change. And we know that it was profound because he died. And Thankfully, with some understanding of modern science, we understand that death is not happenstance. It's a process. It's a process. That from the moment of conception, in one way or another, whether it be at the molecular or the cellular level, um, in one way or another, we began to die. And so that change in um, the quality of Adam's being was not limited to a corruption of his moral will per se, but rather that corruption extended um, to the very fabric of every molecule of his being so that he began to die. Now, Adam couldn't change that. There was no way for him to um, undisobey. There was no way for him to retract the act of, uh, of having eaten the forbidden fruit. And in consequence of that, whatever Adam was, as um, he and Eve produced offspring, that's what the offspring were also. Okay? In other words, um, they, um, they reproduced according um, to their natural um, um, abilities and also um, according to what they were that's what they produced and so <clears throat> he tells us here as the by the offense of one many died many be dead by the offense of one many be dead in other words everyone that was in Adam as the head of humanity, everyone that was in Adam um, were represented in that original sin, and the effect, the uh, proof that they were represented in the original sin um, is that we all die. But it was much more than just a positional representation. You see, um, one of the things that's very interesting, and this is just a little sidebar, one of the things very interesting in, in the study of uh, genetics, I, I got involved in the, um, in the very early days of the uh, Human Genome Project. I was involved in that, and then career changes um, led me away from it. But one of the things that's very interesting, and if you've, any of you that have ever had your DNA um, analyzed, what they do is they trace your lineage. So that when you get your, your DNA, it'll say, well, you're, you're, you're you know, in, in my case, I'm like 90% England. 
um, and you know a little bit of Wales and then a little bit of France and um, et cetera. And, they, and what they're doing is they're looking at DNA of people all around the world and they're tracing the migration. And what they're doing, the further they go back, the closer to singularity they get. Do you see that? That if it were possible to trace my DNA all the way back to the beginning of the human race, um, there would be common features in my DNA that I inherited from Adam and Eve. And that's why I die. That's why I die. Now, here's what I want from that. Do you see that, that it was more than simply Adam representing us in the transgression? That, that we were more than simply re represented in the transgression? That physiologically, the beginnings of each one of us were in Adam and Eve um, and were corrupted so that we positionally were in him in the, in the transgressions. Do you see that? Does that make sense to you? You get that principle? Here's the reason that's important. The reason that's important is because, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. In other words, he's saying it's important that we understand that in the same way we were from a material standpoint in DNA represented in Adam and Eve in original sin, um, in the spiritual realm, we are similarly uh, positionally in Christ Jesus and always have been. Now, the only way that'll work is for God to have placed us in Christ Jesus and the only way that that would work in the language and the grammar that the Apostle Paul is using here um, is that he placed us in Christ Jesus before um, Christ Jesus came into the world. Scriptures tell us in 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, um, verse 9, speaking of God, it says, God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling not according to our works. In other words, God didn't look uh, down through time and see that we were going to accept Christ. And based on those good works, he uh, decided that he would predestinate us to the adoption of children. <clears throat> he says, no, that's not the reason. And of course, the reason that it's not the reason is because the impact of, uh, of Adam's transgression, the Apostle Paul says, um, is total depravity. There is none righteous, no, not one. So whatever works that we would do, <clears throat> if we do it strictly um, absent the uh, inner workings of the Spirit of God in us, whatever works we do cannot by definition be good works because goodness there uh, contains a moral quality and in the, uh, in the uh, uh, original sin, um, we lost the moral quality of goodness, therefore we cannot do good works. We cannot do good works. So he says you can stop thinking about you know, accepting Jesus as your personal savior and getting baptized to be saved because it ain't by good works. <clears throat> he says, um, uh, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ. Our 
holy calling was by the grace of God, which God exercised on our behalf in Christ. Do you see that? In Christ. Um, Before the world began. So even before we were positionally and materially in Adam in original sin, even before that, we were already in Christ. God had already established the criteria. You know, we, we uh, primitive Baptists believe in the doctrine of eternal preservation. And we tend to look at eternal preservation from now until Jesus comes again, and then, you know, when we get into heaven, we're fine. But this scripture is telling us that we were eternally preserved in Christ before the world began. Do you see that? That we were in Christ eternally preserved before the world began. Now, I'm going to stop with that principle. I think we've established how um, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul uses um, our uh, material position in Adam in the transgression to first of all to establish the fact of that's why we die because we were more than simply represented in Adam we were in Adam um, materially when he transgressed and by materially I mean that uh, the the makeup of my DNA um, proceeds from the makeup of Adam's DNA I'm made from his his and Eve's DNA okay so materially I was in, in Adam. And he says, guess what? Spiritually, the same principle applies to you being in Christ. <clears throat> that as sure as you were in Adam, in original sin, you are um, that surely in Christ, positionally, uh, so far as God is concerned. Now here is the mystery of that. From our perspective, we have no spiritual essence until we're born in the Spirit of God. We have a natural spirit, but that natural spirit um, comes with natural life. And then we have a, 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 and the natural spirit is is, um, referred to in Scripture sometimes as a soul. And the soul is where the work of regeneration occurs. That's why Paul um, calls it the the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. In another place he says, uh, in Romans chapter 3, he says, They are not Jews which are Jews outwardly, but they are Jews which are Jews inwardly. That it's not circumcision of the flesh, an outward circumcision of the flesh, but it it is a circumcision that takes place um, in the heart of the soul, in the heart of the spirit. And the heart of the natural spirit of man um, is our essential core um, uh, uh, identity, um, which, is, uh, which proceeds from the human soul. So it's the soul that is changed when we're born in the Spirit of God. But my point in that is this. That we can trace our material beginnings back to Adam and Eve. And when we think about our spiritual beginnings, the Spirit of God beginnings, um, we look at that from the standpoint of regeneration. But that's not how God sees us. He saw us in Christ before the world began. He saw us in Christ. Now, here is the challenge, and this is where the mystery uh, 
um, lies. And I have no answer for this. I'm just throwing it out there to give you something to chew on. Okay? Which is the real reality? Is it our reality that began when my reality began when I was born? Now, I can look and understand that there was reality that preceded me so far back because I can look at history and old movies and things like that. Okay? But my reality, for the most part, is a material reality um, that I experience materially and, and um, also can gain some sense of and some essence of um, through history. But that's not God's reality. God's reality did not start when he made Adam. As a matter of fact, one of the mysteries of God's reality is that he self-exists. Which means that there is no beginning to his reality. And if there is no beginning to his reality, you know, um, Jesus put it this way. He, he, th this is the, the, in human terms, this is the best definition that I can find of, of reality. And, and Jesus gave this definition in terms of a practical um, uh, event. He said, before Abraham was, I am. When Moses was struggling with um, the, the Lord's direction to lead the children of Israel um, to go and, and uh, work for their uh, release from captivity and to lead them uh, out of Egypt into the land that the Lord would give them. And he asked, you know, uh, he, he said, you know, I'm nobody. They're not going to listen to me. They'll listen to you because you obviously are God. So <clears throat> who should I say has sent me when they ask? And God gave the same answer. He said, tell them I am has sent thee. Now, do you understand the significance of that name of God? The implication of God being I am is that there is no future with God and there is no past with God. There is eternal present. Do you see that? So that in the eternity of the present circumstance of God, that he exists and has always existed. And not only that, he doesn't change. He said, I am the Lord thy God and I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And if he never changes and he's um, eternally um, a God who is present and immutable and he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, the significance of that statement is there's never been any event in, pre in the present, I'm running out of words here, folks. <laughs> I'm running out of ways to explain this because it goes beyond human comprehension. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. The point being is as long as God is, we have been in Christ. We have been in Christ. Now, if that doesn't give you pause, I don't know what will. And here's the amazing thing. 
that the eternal preservation of all of those who were chosen in Christ before the world began is no longer or shorter in duration than the eternal preservation of those God chose in Christ from the moment Christ died on the cross until forever. Until forever. That we have ever been in Christ. I'll end with this thought. In 2 Corinthians, and, and, and here, is the, here is the conundrum. This is, this is the dilemma that we face. And this is the reason that I believe that uh, Fanny Crosby wrote that song, Perfect Submission, Perfect Delight. Visions of rapture now burst in my sight. How could a blind person have visions of rapture um, by virtue of being a new creature? He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Several years ago, I watched a, a TV program in which uh, Larry King um, was being interviewed. Now, Larry King was himself a great interviewer, and Barbara Walters, who was at that time a hostess on the Today Show, um, had him on as a special interest guest, and she was interviewing him about all the people that he had interviewed and all the interesting things that he had discovered about people through um, his many decades of interviewing people. And she asked him this question. She said, in the history of the world, if there's one person <clears throat> that you could interview, who would you most like to interview throughout the history of the world? And without hesitation, Larry King said, um, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Larry King um, was a practicing Jew. He, he's deceased now. Um, he was a practicing Jew. He did not believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? And Barbara Walters said, well, why would you want to interview him? And he made this statement, and, and this statement goes to the point that Paul is making here. He said, because if he is in fact who he said he was, that changes everything. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he was, then it ought to change everything for us. So that we don't wring our hands and um, act like the sky is falling when bad things are going on around us. <clears throat> so that we understand um, that the God of the universe who spoke this universe into existence. It's interesting to even think about that. I, I, I love words. I love words. I read all the time. And uh, well, I listen to books. I don't read. I can't read. <clears throat> but I listen to books. And I love words. There were no words until God said, let there be light. And when he said that, and light came into existence, for the first time, words had meaning. Do you understand that we need to trace all of the meanings of our words back to the moral quality of the goodness of God, 
when he said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. That if we can't find goodness as righteousness, as compassion, as mercy, as love, as joy, as comfort, as peace, as visions of rapture in our minds, if we can't trace the words that we're reading and the words that we're hearing and the words that we're sharing with others, um, if we can't trace that back um, to the goodness of God, we've got no business using those words. No business at all. He said, but if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, when we're born of the Spirit of God, um, something truly amazing happens. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, and neither indeed can he know them, for they are, spirit, they are foolishness unto him, because they must be spiritually discerned. If we um, believe, if we have um, any uh, unction within us that draws us to wanting um, to understand more of who Christ is and what he's done for us, it's because we're new creatures and all things have become new to us. Now I want to close with one aspect of all of the things that are new to us. Okay? And that aspect is I can almost understand this, but not really. But nevertheless, with the little bit of understanding that I have, I can rejoice and I can set the tenor of my life on the joy of the, the relationship that I have with God. And turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 17. Jesus is praying. And he's praying to the Father. And he's praying on our behalf. You know, we ask people to pray for us all the time, don't we? And some of us take that seriously. You know, when someone asks you to pray for us, some of us actually do pray for them. But I want you to think about the Savior the Savior didn't simply have audience with God. He is God. He is with God and has always been with him, John tells us in John chapter 1. He says um, in uh, John chapter 17 in this prayer, he says in, in verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified um, through the truth. You know what he's talking about there? I'm setting myself apart to the holy purpose of the atonement so that they can base their lives on the reality of the truth that I died for their sins. He says that they may, um, might be sanctified through the truth. That there is a setting apart a consecrating of ourselves to a, a noble and holy purpose when um, we embrace the reality and live according to the significance that Jesus died for me on Calvary. 
He says, neither do I pray um, for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's you and I. The others that he's praying for, that he's mentioning here, those are us. He says that they may all be one. That they may all be one. You know, primitive Baptists um, have a unique fellowship. And I've thought a lot about this through the years. We have a unique thing where fellowship is concerned. When you join a primitive Baptist um, church, you become more than a group of people who meet on Sunday morning and, and worship in the same building. Okay? There is a unity of spirit. Now, uh, there are any number of reasons for that, but here is why I think uh, the, the quality of fellowship, and I'm not diminishing the fellowship that other folks have. Okay? I'm just showing that there is an exceptional quality where our fellowship is concerned. And here is the reason I think that's so. There is this significant quality because we understand that everyone who joins us has been in Christ forever. And now they're coming to be with us too so that we can be one with them in fellowship. No one else believes that. Everybody else believes that this person was just out here wandering around and finally heard the gospel and he got added. And we don't see it as an addition. We see it as a homecoming. It's a child of God who's been out there struggling in the world um, and um, looking for some comfort and consolation, looking for some edification, looking for some encouragement. And through the preaching of the gospel, their souls are stirred and they realize this is home. And they join us. And we don't say, welcome to the block. We say, welcome home. Welcome home. We knew you were out there someplace. We didn't know who you were. And we didn't know where you were. But by your experience, we understand you've always been one of us. And now you're together with us. That's a unique quality of our fellowship. That's why Paul said, brethren, uh, I could wish myself a curse for my brethren, my kinsmen. It's why he said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow because there was a quality of fellowship that Paul was experiencing with Jew and Gentile alike and that others of God's children who, because of false teachings, were not experiencing and it was breaking Paul's heart. And that's the compassion that we ought to have for his children today. So listen to the nature of the oneness. Listen to the nature of the oneness. I, I love this. This is one of my, uh, you talk about reading scripture and your soul being comforted. You know, I, I feel like I'm a little boy laying on my mama's breast when I read this scripture. It's, it's that comforting to me. He says that they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. If that doesn't stir your soul, I have nothing for you this evening. I told you this was a mystery. I can't understand how God can be three in one, but He is. And I can understand that there is an intimacy of God's fellowship with Himself that through Christ Jesus and He placing us in Christ, He shares with us. That's a quality of love that's like a vision of rapture in a blind woman's sight. I can't explain it, but I've experienced it, and I thank God for it. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.